As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You don't be the best and you got to pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you got to do the little extra things to get it. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how are we doing? Jordan, it's, it's been a little while. It's good, to, it's good to talk to you on here again. I know you had a big trip. Yeah, I'm plain York. voice again. Get ready for it. <laughs> <laughs> interesting uh win over the giants i know we want to talk about that but it's golf week i know everybody's excited that jared goff is coming to town to play the rams so i know we want to talk about that you had a nice sit down chat with uh chris burke our lions beat writer i know we're going to be hearing from him a little bit later but jordan maybe let's uh quickly wrap the giants game even though it's been a few days now there were some really interesting aspects of that game and uh, what did you think? And, and maybe what's going on with those injuries now? As as we re- as we record, it's Wednesday morning, so you're going to be getting a little bit more info during the week. Uh, but there were some uh, a couple significant injuries there. So so what do we know about a couple of those guys? And kind of what were your what were your takeaways coming out of that game? Yeah, great question. I am excited to be back recording. We uh, did some. Rich is like uh, such a trooper because we <laughs> had to do a bunch of rescheduling. Uh, Big, big gnarly travel day on Monday. Uh, not going to get into it, but basically uh, took a lot longer for me to get back to Los Angeles than I thought it would. Um, but we're here uh, and we're we're stoked to be here. And thanks, you guys, for your patience. Definitely got a, a sm- put a smile on my face seeing you guys' uh, tweets about looking for the podcast. And so we're jam-packing this episode for you. We've got Chris Burke, who does a great job covering the Lions for us in Detroit, as Rich mentioned. Um, he's going to be our, our interview. We woke uh, woke I woke up on East Coast time, which my body clock is still kind of there. So it was it was normal. <laughs> it was nice. Um, got that done before the sun came up this morning. And Chris was fabulous. Um, and he got him right right as he was heading into another Dan Campbell press conference. Those seem like always an adventure. And a little bit motivating, uh, I think, too, or trying to motivate Jared Goff. And we'll get to that in a minute. But 
that's what I want to segue into is Sean McVay did some of his own sort of mo- maybe motivating from the podium. And I, I have to think that that was at least part of, of him um, being very visibly and audibly cranky after a 38 to 11 <laughs> win at New York. I mean, this was a team they were supposed to beat. They were supposed to soundly defeat them. Um, they did. Didn't, you know, they, they kind of just, you know, pulled out the men in black memory stick on the first quarter and pretended like it never existed and broke open 28 points unanswered in the second quarter and then pulled Matthew Stafford in the third. So, you know, it just, it it was something, a game they were supposed to win and they did. And sometimes it's as as simple as that, but we're going to get into um, some of the nuances in it as well, because there were some important things to note, including Two injuries that the Rams uh, are, are obviously never thrilled with any injuries, but really, really unhappy about these two in particular. Johnny Munt tore his ACL, and he's out for the season. Obviously, in a huge blocking tight end role and really a stalwart for them in terms of what he's been able to, to open up in their in their blocking game. Um, has a little bit of that dual ability. He can catch passes if he absolutely needs to. Um, and he just, they just, he's just steady. They just really like having him around. They're a bit thin with unproven guys in terms of that blocking tight end role on the backside. So going to see if Bryson Hopkins steps up and sort of asserts himself into the position that he has been building toward taking over once Johnny Munt ultimately did leave the Rams. And, and what I can say definitively is I don't think that they're going to want Jacob Harris in that traditionalist blocking role. He's definitely a downfield threat receiver blend tight end guy. So um, certainly can see them trying to make sure that, that Bryson Hopkins is up to speed and maybe even taking a look at Kendall Blanton on the practice squad as well. Right. Um, he had a, he had a really nice, really nice preseason. And then the other injury that that's hard for them is Jake Funk, they've just had horrible luck with running backs this year. My goodness, Rich. They they have just gotten banged up as a position, and Jake Funk tore his hamstring. Surgery was recommended to him. Now the player can ultimately decide, but his season is over either way. So the Rams lost him. He was definitely contributing on special teams, and he was returning some kickoffs for them, so they're going to have to decide that as well. Special teams continues to be uh, – a bit unstable in certain phases, although I really liked that fake punt try that we saw. That yeah. was that, that sort of lit a fire under my butt. I thought that was I thought that was neat. Um, but oh, and I do have courtesy of Pat Leonard the, from the New York Daily News. I did get a printout. We'll I'll, I'll pull it up in a minute, Rich, when we get into this game. I do have an explanation from the officials on what happened. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, okay. we had. It, it's not really a good one, but. <laughs> I still, right, well. I still have one. Um, but basically, they, they're going to they, – they promoted Buddy Howell from the practice squad into that sort of reserve running back position. They're kind of just on a prayer here with Daryl Henderson and Sony Michelle and still figuring out who's going to take over that that Johnny Munt blocking tight end role. So big, big questions to answer this week at practice. It's also Jared Goff week, so huge questions to answer um, in terms of – winning another game that they are supposed to win and should win and sort of dealing with all of that and, and battling some of the, the natural emotions that will come with seeing Brad Holmes again, Aubrey Pleasant, Michael Brockers, and of course, Jared Goff, um, who I expect to get a pretty loud and, and positive ovation when he gets back on the field on Sunday. But that's, that's the, the quick injury update and um, some of the things that I'm, I'm looking for through this week. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Sean being upset after that game. And uh, there's a lot of ways that you can read into that. And I think people, you know, you've been 
listening to Sean for a while now, been around him and people have been listening to him and watching him here since 2017. That's you, you can take that in a few different ways. I saw people kind of saying like, oh, that's typical, you know, type A Sean McVeigh or, you know, the guy who always wants to get the A plus on the test. I, I think there's a little bit of that, but I also think it's there. There is some pragmatic uh, uh, approach to it there. Like, and I think we we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, maybe when uh, I, I think people I, I won't say accused us, but uh, people said, you know, oh, we're you know, you're being kind of negative about a, a win, you know, and and I, but I, I think this is how Sean McVay looks at them too, and and we talk about what this team is. This is a Super Bowl contending team. Uh, and that's how Sean McVay looks at it. That's how we look at it. That's how I think a lot of fans look at it. Uh, so that's the prism through which he he kind of grades his team. He evaluates his team. And I'm sure he looked, especially at that first quarter or some of the execution on offense and said, that's not a Super Bowl effort. That's not a effort that's going to it, it, and And Sean McVay would never say this. An NFL coach would never say this on the record. It's it's an effort that's good enough to beat the New York Giants, uh, but it's not an effort, especially at the start, that's good enough to beat better teams. And I'm talking specifically about the offense because the defense really, really came on. So I think that's the prism through which Sean McVay looks at this. It's not necessarily about perfection. It's not about, right. oh, we made two mistakes that we can't. I don't I don't really think that's it. I, I think he's taking the long view of this and saying, if, if we're going to get where we want to get to, uh, then the games are going to get tougher. We're going to have to execute better. And we can't have the type of efforts that we had, uh, especially in that first quarter. So that's that's kind of how I, I, I looked at it, Jordan. Um the injuries, yeah, there, there are a couple that are, you know, you look at the names and you go, oh, okay, you know, those aren't those aren't huge names, but you know, players who contribute a lot, and and Johnny Munt has been one throughout his time in L.A. to where you you don't you don't hear his name a lot because he's not catching a lot of passes, he's not you know making highlights or anything like that, but uh, j- just such a good uh, important part of that offense. Mm-hmm. And uh, be very interested to see, like you said, you know, it's, it's been quite a while since we've seen, you know, Bryson Hopkins. We've really never seen him in a, in regular season action. So if, if he gets in there and, and is able to fill that role in some way, um, that'll be that'll be very important. As will Jake Funk's role, uh, special teams. We don't we don't we don't need to tell our listeners how important special teams are. Uh, <laughs> so uh, you know, Jake Funk has has been a big part of that, and and obviously they can have Tutu Atwell back there returning kicks but uh but but there's other parts of special teams and uh you know just feel feel bad for for both of those guys um obviously but you know in all it it, it all came together the defense was flying around out there forcing some of those turnovers and in, in numbers that uh that we haven't seen I, I i think they uh if i remember correctly i tweeted it but I, if i remember correctly they they gave the defense gave the offense the ball on the plus side of the field four times in the game, which is that's a pretty good formula to win. Not uh, bad, when, man. They'll take n- it. Not bad at all. And hey, hey, here's some news. Yes. Here's some 2021 news. Wow. Scoring touchdowns after off those field positions. The, yeah, exactly. Would you look at that? Yeah, yeah you, you have to capitalize. They don't mean anything if you don't put them uh, in the end zone or at least uh, through the upright. So, uh, yeah, it, it all came together. It was a little bit. And again, one of those, I'm not making excuses for for the Rams, but those those early starts uh, on on the East Coast, it's it's not it's not easy. I mean, anybody who's done a little bit of traveling, uh, you know, your 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 body basically is still telling you it's 10 a.m. 
and and you're out there playing football, not even practicing football, but playing football. Uh, so it's uh, those can be a little bit a uh, little bit difficult to, to ease yourself into. But uh, but Jordan, I really do. I'm not even uh, you know playing around here. I really want to know what this explanation was on the on the fake punt because just to set it up real quickly for for maybe people who didn't see it, the Rams did indeed for the first time. I don't even think they had one last year, did they? Or if they, if they did, I don't remember. No, one. they didn't run a fake punt last year. This year go. would have been successful. Ben Skoranek with his first, I believe, yeah. his first NFL catch, and it came on a fake punt. How much do you love that in a for for a, a young player who was drafted initially to be a special teams contributor, right? And might see some minutes. Uh, you know, he's someone. Here's the thing, too. He's someone else. I don't think we can totally rule out in some of those blocking Johnny Munt blocking situations. I think that. He did some of that when he was uh, in college, and you know he's a very versatile player. So we certainly can't rule Ben Skronik out. Okay, so Pat Leonard, shout out to Pat Leonard, New York Daily News, great guy. He, uh, oh yeah, that was a, that's another cool thing I like going going to New York for is um, whenever I go to a game there, I try to get the the papers the next day because the because the back pages and like whoever I mean, they just have they, their pun game is strong. It's nice to see. Um, okay, so. Here's what they here's what they said. Now, now I'll preface this by saying um, the Rams would have had a first down on the play, picked up three more yards than they needed. Um, Johnny Hacker threw a beautiful spiral pass um, and the refs called it back. Uh, double unsportsmanlike penalties. However, in the official statistics, no penalty numbers were assigned uh, no player names were marked. It was simply assigned by team. And it also still, to this morning, still is showing that the Rams converted a- another fourth down other than the one that they did um, with the touchdown. So clearly there's some internal disagreement on what went down. Um, Sean McVay called it head scratching. Once again, uh, coaches cannot speak uh, ill of referees or officiating because they get fined. Um, but this here, here's, here's what they, here's what the official said happened. The Rams were penalized for violating rule 12 three one parentheses K, which prohibits quote using entering substitutes, legally returning players, substitutes on the sidelines or withdrawn players to confuse opponents, including lingering by players, leaving the field after being replaced by a substitute. The Giants were penalized for a coach running in front of the line judge and interfering with him during play. Okay, so here's my thing. Here's my thing, though. This was I don't I don't agree with it because this basically they're saying that Ben Skronik was substituted in in a confusing way because he was like too close to the sideline and didn't move inside the you know and and okay here's here's my thing though that was a natural substitution special teams was taking over right <laughs> like, right like it wasn't like they they were saying okay it's second down here sneak onto the field and like do the fainting goat play like it's it really was. <laughs> It was a it really was a natural substitution throughout the course of the game. So naturally, your players on the field are going to change over. So I don't I still I mean, it was just and there was no there was no explanation given really in the game. Um, The second part of that was really funny, really funny to me. The Giants were penalized for a coach running in front of the line judge and interfering with him during the play. I don't. Um, I don't so think I. Like, like, what do you even do? Like, what? Yeah. I mean, yeah. All of it's a mess. It just felt all of it was a mess. It was like that first quarter. It just felt real, real messy. I don't. I don't think I've ever heard of either of those penalties getting called 
let well, alone on the same play. Well, Football Zebras had a great little explainer that the rule actually exists in the first place because of a play the uh, Los Angeles Rams ran in like the 50s that wow. sent in a, that snuck in a substitution. So the rule exists because of the Rams. Of course. <laughs> and then it happens. It gets, so it's like we get the double punt, right? We yes. get the double punt, and yes. then uh, and then the, last year it was the Tom Brady double pass. This year is a double punt. It's yes. never a dull moment on special teams, Rich. But I I think that that was I know people were curious about that, and I wanted to wanted to share yeah. that out. But it's just yeah, that was wow. Yeah, yeah, that is the most bizarre thing I've. Uh, yeah, we we could we could unpack that for a while, but yeah, I I just I find that hard to believe because then I I saw the very next. Uh, when they actually did punt the ball, Ben Skoronek was was there in the same position. So I, I don't believe. I, and again, I, I don't even think watching the All Twenty Two because they cut that stuff. They we don't get to watch the full. Uh, it's not a full stream. They kind of cut you know play by play by play. So I don't think we'd be able to see guys coming on and off the field. But I find it hard to believe that that that's what was going on there. I, I feel like he he would have been there no matter what. And um, confusion, the word confusion or whatever they said, and I already forgot what they said, but yeah, oh yeah, opponents. to confuse opponents. Like, how subjective is that? Yeah, right. There's no way to like truly quantify that. It was a natural thing that gets point. me. Yeah, and the thing that gets me is like it, and I'm not gonna, you know, I I know I, we could rant about this forever, but like, and, and, but I want to, I definitely want to get to the defense here because uh, the tart was tightened. Ooh. Um, and I I just want to say though that like. Holy cow, man, what a mess that was for them trying to even figure it out. And it just was not. And, and it was a and it was a natural substitution. And I think those things are frustrating when it almost feels right. like you're existing within the rules. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, no, wait, wait, wait. There's this other part. Hang yeah. on. There's yeah. this other part yeah. that you need to. And but I thought it was a great play. I hope they run more of those. Um, Johnny Hecker can still sling it. So hope they hope they run more of those um, for sure. But yeah, it was just not. Uh, you know what? And honestly, like. Good for Sean McVay for doing something interesting on fourth down twice, um, right. going going for it and then um, getting the touchdown earlier and then running the fake punt. I still probably, I, I honestly, I would have still gone for it. I know it was like maybe an adverse, but you're playing the Giants, man. Like I'd still go for it on fourth down regardless. Right. right. But uh, I do love that they rolled out the fake punt. That Sean kind of alluded to it. Um, earlier in the week that it's it might be something that uh, they still had in their arsenal. And um, uh, Joe DeCamillis, the special teams coach, has talked at length about how it's important that teams just know it's possible as well because it changes some of the contours they play them uh, against in, in terms of the coverage unit. So um, I, I thought it was all very interesting. We're getting into some, some of the um, – the trickeration and the mind games that come with special teams. And uh, as you, you know, I'm a big, big fan of that. There you go. Well, uh, but before we uh, pivot to the the defense, I do need to say uh, shout out. Uh, Daryl Henderson ran the ball twenty one times. Twenty one. Hey. The Rams ran the ball more than they passed it. Well, of course it was a blowout win, but you know, baby steps, right? Dominating nine minute fifteen second. Oh my drive gosh! Yeah, as I was well. sitting there like going, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when they put. They, that's when they just press their foot down very, very slowly and just. Pressed right. and pressed and pressed, and that's when you felt them completely have. I mean, they the second quarter obviously was fireworks, but the complete control um, they had over the game, 
I will say I I know I know we were wondering about Daryl Henderson's carry share um, previously. I still believe there's a load management situation. However, Sony Michelle also banged up his shoulder in the game. Um, so they were trying to figure that out. So I think that might've led to a couple of more carries by Daryl specifically, because I think they still would like to have that rotation in, but Sony's expe- expected to play Sunday. But um, just in case anyone was sort of wondering about that, uh, that to me, I think is is probably why you saw maybe a little bit more than usual from Daryl. But um, yeah, their, their run pass to me is really efficient. I, and this is where we finally get to disagree on something rich. Cause I Good. know that, I finally it happened. Yes. Um, because I, I was going back and I, I've got a big giant piece coming out on Thursday, I hope Thursday, on uh, Matthew Stafford and how the Rams offense has changed. And um they're running the ball, in my opinion, and not not all the time. I agree with you in those situations we talked about before, but they're running the right. ball extremely efficiently. And it, they are no longer dependent on it to predicate what they do in the passing game. Yeah. So they're able to the pick their spots more efficiently. And I think that's what you're kind of seeing, especially these last two weeks um, with Daryl Henderson and, and Sony Michelle. Oh, first of all, I can't wait to read that story. And uh, <laughs> second of all, yeah, it, it's we always say context is important, right? And and what you're giving here is is that context. And it's, it's not always about the raw numbers. There's absolutely, and, and I would not say this at all, there's no formula. If there were, every coach would do it. But there's no formula that says, oh, you have to run the ball X number of times for every time that you pass it. No, 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 not at all. Every game has its own uh, flow. And, and and I agree, Jordan. I think even even with the struggles that the Rams had early in that game on, on Sunday, um, it it felt like a flow. It, it felt yeah. like um, it, it, you can tell. You can just tell by by watching sometimes, and you don't even need numbers to it. Uh, but you can just tell, like, oh wow, they're throwing the ball a lot. They're really forcing it. They're yeah, and and you don't need to look at a run pass ratio to tell you that sometimes or other times. They're throwing the ball a lot, and you're saying, okay, like, I, I forget which game it was, but uh, it was early in the season. But I, I even tweeted like, hey. They just got to keep throwing the ball here because you you can tell it's it's in a rhythm that the defense is on its heels. Uh, you know Matthew Stafford's on it. Like it it is all about that efficiency that that you're talking about, Jordan. So hard to do, hard to do during a game. I totally understand that, but um, maybe the Rams are getting a little bit closer uh, to what they to what they need there. Um, defense, Jordan. I mean, we've we've talked a lot about this defense over the season. Uh, four big takeaways, uh, including two interceptions by Taylor Rapp, uh, a big one for Robert Rochelle. Nice to see that for him in particular after we've, we've been talking about him a little bit as, as a rookie and uh, was just on a personal level. It was very nice to see him get to enjoy that, uh, that, that moment. And uh, like we said, great field position. Um, We'll certainly say the caveat that they were facing the New York Giants, but uh, but but what did you what did you think about that that defensive performance, Jordan? You know what was really neat to me was to see them initially start, and it was almost like um, um kind of a frantic feeling, right? Because they were rotating so much, and they had to. Yeah. That was how they were unlocking some of the the packages and sub packages they were using, and then also wanted to keep Jalen Ramsey as versatile as possible. Um, which is something that I think is, is I, as you guys know, because I have ranted about it many times, I absolutely agree with, um, and in doing so, 
introduced a couple of, of guys we haven't seen a lot of, including Dante Dion, who had an outstanding game, yeah. uh, played more defensive snaps and actually had more coverage snaps than I think anybody expected and just really rose to the occasion, was very, very sticky in coverage, was kind of just like always there where he needed to be, made a tackle in open space and helped with a run stop that was really outstanding. Um, Sean McVay like just could not help it. When I asked him about Dante this week, he just broke into this major smile. At that point, they had known what was happening with the injuries and they – I assume already had known that Dante was going to get um, signed uh, to that open spot after they moved an IR player, um, which is a big, big moment for him uh, to be on that 53 man. Some, some would argue, and I think correctly that he should have made the roster in, in, initially mm. um, had a really strong training camp as well, but they were very much convinced uh, not convinced, but very much committed to, making sure they did all of their due diligence that they could on David Long. Um, and Dante Dion not only started over David Long, but also got more, way, way more snaps than him. You actually did not see, you even saw Ter- Terrell Burgess um, getting more snaps. You didn't You didn't see David until the very end of the game um, yeah. when, when starters were pulled. And so I thought that was, I thought that was telling, just as we've talked about, um, you know, Robert Rochelle starting over him. That was also telling. But back to my initial point, I think it was really interesting to watch them figure it out. And part of that is just they have really good communication. And Jordan, it starts, starts with Jordan Fuller, obviously, wearing the green dot and Raheem Morris on the sideline. But you also see it with between Jalen Ramsey and Taylor Rapp, between Taylor and Jordan Fuller, between the overhang corners and everybody else. And you see it constantly between plays, and you saw it a lot on that first drive. And I think um, that first drive, they settled in. They made a, actually made a couple of big plays on that initial drive that the Giants ended up getting a field goal on, um, including Jalen Ramsey. Holy cow. Slip in a screen just perfectly. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Wow. And um, making an open sort of a, stuffing a screen and making that open field tackle after slipping a blocker um, to the point where I mean, no, my knees would just break in half trying to do that. To be honest <laughs> with you, like I would go one way and my knee would stay in place and I can go the other way. Like so, I feel like that just just was outstanding play. Brian Baldinger tweeted out a, a take on it that was really good. If anyone's interested in going looking at that more closely, I wrote about it a little bit, but that one, Baldy certainly captured the moment very well. Um, but I think that they, you saw them start to settle and the pressure was getting there and it really, you know, again, caveat, it was the Giants, right? And the you could make the argument that Daniel Jones was not ready to be out there. You could make the argument that he certainly was not, should not have been out there in a 38-11 blowout that late in the game. You could definitely make that argument. Um, but at the same time, you know, pressure is pressure, man. And you're still, the, the Rams defensive line is absolutely winning at the line of scrimmage on a consistent basis. Trell Lewis is getting pressure off the edge. Obo Okoronko strip sack, like getting pressure. Um, and they're doing it in different ways and complementary ways to Leonard Floyd, who was like hauling ass out there. I mean, did you see yeah, him contain yeah. on the prim- that dude is mad? Here, here's here's what I think. That dude is mad about the Kyler Murray game, and he's taking it out on everybody else yeah, <laughs> until he, they play the Cardinals again. He was playing angry out there, and you, yeah. you can tell, and in a good way. I mean that in nothing but a positive way. 
like Matthew Stafford, I, I asked Matthew about him after the game, about Leonard Floyd after the game, and he just started chuckling. Like, dudes, people are terrified of that guy. Like, Leonard Floyd's like one of the nicest people on the planet, very quiet, right. just goes about his business. But like, oh my goodness, he is a a looming figure right. across from you. And, He's a problem. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And he was playing like just – just absolutely playing his butt off. Um, and I think that you could really see these guys settle. And this is what we talked about before, and I wrote about this last week, is this is the time where you need to find your identity defensively and certainly right. put things together on offense. And I, I want to make one more point about the offense here in a minute. But um, you certainly – this is the time where you catch your breath before November and December and how crucial those stretches are going to be. And if you can do it with depth guys too, it's it's never a good thing to be missing your, one of your star corners for sure. But if you can establish an identity in that way, winning games you're supposed to win, that's a good fe- you know that's a good feeling for those yeah. guys. First of all, winning the games you're supposed to win, not having catastrophes happen like the Jets last year, for example. But then also, like establishing what it feels like and what it looks like to be successful on defense. They ran conceptually. They just did it with different players. They ran conceptually much of the same things that they do when Darius Williams is able to be in the game. It's just they were doing it with Dante Dion and and at times Terrell Burgess. You even saw Terrell Burgess in the star, which I was hinting at we would maybe see a little bit of. Um, And and you were seeing guys step up and show up. And I think, um, you know, having that sentiment of, we're up against it here, which the secondary very much was entering the game. But then they put together, I was talking to one of the coaches, they put together a really good week of practice and um, really expanded the roles, obviously, of Dante and then expanded the role of Nick Scott and really entrusted and empowered Taylor Rapp, Jordan Fuller, and Jalen Ramsey to get things into place and to get crap handled, basically. And I thought that was, an first of all, an interesting approach. It wasn't just a controlling, like, this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. It was really empowering the players to um, step into those shoes and, and into those responsibilities. And you could see them settle into place in the communication. They gave up one 17-yard pass. The rest of it was non-concerning. And I think that – and and that was like, what are you going to do? Kadarius Tony makes a really great play <laughs> and uh, yeah. is able to to sort of shake Robert Rochelle early in the game. Well, the Kadarius Tony obviously leaves the game after that play because he re-injured his ankle, and and so you know it, it was just a really good play. I mean, I don't know what you can again. My knees would break in half. Yeah. Like I don't really know what you're going to do about that, but um, but you know the explosives were non-existent, um, and that was exactly what they needed to do. They needed to again. We joke about it, but they they really needed to tighten it down and to assert from depth and to constrict, and that's what they did. And they did it in so many, in, in a lot of different ways, not just Jalen Ramsey doing Jalen Ramsey things, but also guys like Dante Dion stepping up, guys like Taylor Rapp, who had something to prove. I think when we heard Raheem Morris talk about how angry Taylor Rapp plays, you saw it. And you didn't see it just with the way that he was tackling and and all of that. You saw it with the way that he was baiting Daniel Jones to make throws he didn't yeah, want to make. Yeah. That's what these safeties are. That's the beauty of safeties in this in this defensive philosophy and scheme. Jordan Fuller had probably one of his best games of the season um, and and just allowed them to do things that they're supposed to be able to do. And I thought that was really promising to build upon. 
Yeah, it's it's it was the most complete effort I, th- I think that that I can remember, and and it probably should have been as we've said because it was the Giants. But I'm going to take that. <laughs> as we've out. said, it was the Giants. Yeah, I mean, you feel like you because I, I I can envision people listening to this and kind of rolling their eyes and oh well, it was the Giants. But that's you. I mean, you mentioned it before, Jordan. I mean, they lost to the Jets at home last year, so it's it's not like you can take any game for granted or say like oh because the opponent's weak, it doesn't matter how the Rams play. No, that it matters a lot. And and I think that what you need to do is just kind of look at some of the individuals and say, well, how did they play in that game? And you had a number of people who you just very smartly, uh, you know, called out, shouted out, who, who played very, very well. I don't care who the opponent was. I don't care who the quarterback was. Uh, they they played very well. Taylor Rapp was one of them. Uh, Leonard Floyd was one. Of them. I mean, you, you can go through. It was, I, I think, across the board, uh, it was it was a playmaking defense, uh, and and you mentioned the uh, the explosive plays. We absolutely should shout that out because we do it when there when it goes the other way. But the, the, you mentioned that the Tony play that was 17 yards. They didn't have another play longer than that. Uh, there was a couple. There was a 16, a 15, and then you go on down. But you did not see the 25, the 30, the 40, like you didn't see those plays happening. And and that's really what a, a big part of the problem has been here. And I love the outside pass rush. I mean, I, I don't even think we mentioned uh, a guy like Obo Okoronkwo, who uh, was was almost there a couple times. He almost had a strip sack there. I, I think it was ruled up, or I, maybe I'm remembering the play wrong, but I, I remember one specifically where he was about a half second, maybe even a quarter second away uh, from, from getting there. And, and it just got out. Um, Terrell Lewis, once again, you know, finding ways to, to manage his uh, uh, snaps and, and have him be very effective out there. So to see that outside pass rush was something that was um, was very uh, encouraging if, you, if you're the Rams. So uh, yeah, we'll see. It's, it's, it's one game. The games are certainly going to get uh, more difficult, especially when you get back into some of those division games. But uh, Jordan, what was the point before we before we pivot to the to the Lions? You said you yes. wanted to make a point about the offense. Yes. The Rams offensive line is crushing it. They are w- absolutely. And those sacks, I don't put those sacks, those third down sacks. I do not put them on the Rams offensive line. I do put them on Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford puts them on Matthew Stafford. Sean McVay likely puts them on Matthew Stafford. Right. Uh, probably a bit of a coverage situation as well downfield. Um, the point that I wanted to make, though, is that when we talk about establishing identity and figuring things out and where certain pieces need to still fall into place, like the Rams have to re- refine themselves on third down. They were really great entering the year, like insane, insane numbers, um, averaging something like 23 yards per passing play on third down um, with, you know, 146 quarterback rating for Matthew Stafford, like insane yeah. stuff. Right. And, uh, you know, missed two third down throws prior to it. But here, but here's the thing. Um, they've been atrocious in Cooper Cup's words. They've been atrocious on third down um, for the last two weeks, two weeks or so. And so they've, they've got to get that sorted out. They've got to start faster. They've got to do all of these different types of things and settle in. And, and some of this stuff we expected to be up and down and um, to see them be up and down in certain ways. Here's the thing, though. On the offensive side, on the offensive line and the defensive line, these guys are are setting the table for whatever the Rams want to build. And that's important and not something we've been able to say in years past. This right. offensive line, what they're doing right now, and particularly in complicated situations, the Rams are in dang empty 
um, at a higher rate than they've ever been under a Sean McVay coach team. And they're doing so many different things, just pure drop back game and, and taking away extra blocking help, by the way. And they're, they're doing such a phenomenal and outstanding job that you can, you have the time to figure yourself out in other ways. You have the time and the space that, that you need as an offense, all the skill players and all the design and everything they are provided. This is so important. They're providing the offense time and space to figure out and, and establish those phases and facets of their identity. And that is the biggest sort of gift an offensive line can give to the rest of the team. Um, aside from obviously keeping the quarterback upright is be dominant enough at the line of scrimmage and commanding enough week over week and consistent enough week over week that you don't have to worry about changing what you do or what you want to do as you're still trying to figure out who you are. And I think the defensive line is doing that as well. And that is a credit to those guys. That's a credit to the coaching. Kevin Carberry, I think has done a really good job. Um, couple of his, his assistants as well, Zach Cromer and um, Nick Allen. I think that those guys have done a really good job with the with the offensive line. Eric Henderson, uh, one of the most underrated defensive line coaches in the country, in my opinion. And I think that this is really, really important and something that is allowing the Rams to figure out who they are without having to worry about uh, what they may have to change or how they have to adjust. And I think that that's really, really important. Yeah, really glad you brought that up um, because, you know, I, I think it's it's certainly fair, especially with an offensive line, like we tend to not talk about them unless things are going wrong. And uh, I, I it, just as was the case in 2017 and 2018, uh, the offensive line was the engine for what was going on there. I mean, obviously the Rams had Todd Gurley and and had, you know, really good offense, but that but they weren't going to do what they did unless they had that offensive line. And I, I think it's probably it, it got a fair amount of attention then. It's probably not getting enough attention now, especially because people hand raised right here. Uh, que- <laughs> you know, questioned what they were doing. I mean, they they made some, they did some things that made you go, "Huh, that's interesting." Uh, starting with, I I I've already forgotten what the very um, corporate phrase was and and how they parted with Aaron Cromer. Uh, but you know, <laughs> with Aaron Cromer not not returning after you know helping uh, that offensive line reach those heights that we just talked about, bringing in Kevin Carberry, uh, making. Not making a lot of additions there, uh, making a change late in training camp that we spent a lot of time talking about, whether that was a, a, something that people should panic about. And here we are six games into the season, and we're not talking about the offensive line at all, other than when you very astutely bring it up. Um, but that's that's the best compliment you can give them, is, is that we're not sitting here talking about any issues uh, involving them. So agree across the board, Jordan, and, and also about the defensive line, too, because there were questions there also about yeah. you know how they would make up for Michael Brockers and how that rotation would go is Aaron Donald going to get enough support um so yeah it's it's still early on and there's still a lot to prove but uh but but I think you can look at both sides of the of that line of scrimmage and say that things are are kind of uh, on track looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jordan, I, I know one person who would be very, very interested about that Rams offensive line and its improvement <laughs> is Jared Goff. Certainly, who's com- certainly. Coming to town on uh, <laughs> Sunday, of course, for a big game. And I know momentarily here we're going to uh, talk to, to Chris Burke, a great uh, Detroit Lions writer for The Athletic. But Jordan, I just wanted to say, I'm glad you said at the beginning, um, the part about Goff being welcomed back to, well, he's being welcomed uh, to SoFi Stadium uh, for the first time as a visitor. Um, but I, I hope that goes well. And and I don't have any personal, Jared is not my friend. I mean, I covered him for a couple of years. There's no reason to be angry at Jared Goff. I mean, th- this would be my message to Rams fans, to anybody who who might need to hear it. Um, I totally understand that there was frustration. You know, things didn't go well. Jared Goff didn't do anything wrong here. Um, he did not force the Rams to trade up and draft him. He did not force the Rams to pay him $134 million. Uh, you know, he, he by all accounts, was a good teammate. He was great in the community. Uh, you know, going back three years when the, the fires were here in, in the Thousand Oaks area and the, the very tragic shooting that happened the day before that, he stepped up as a leader in the community. Uh, he helped the Rams to the Super Bowl. So whatever happens Sunday, like I and I, I hope nothing. Like I don't think the Rams would do anything. I, I hope there's no you know game presentation or DJ anything. Like like just you know I I, I hope it's respectful all, all along. And I and I, I really appreciated what Sean McVay said um, on Sunday because everybody knows. <laughs> That didn't end very well, right? I mean, right. I think it's pretty clear. And <laughs> I I think it was I thought it was pretty mature of of Sean to come out and say, like, yeah, you know what? If I if I could have handled that again or if I could handle that again, I, I would do it different. Now we're not gonna get into some of the specifics. Uh Jordan, you you know a lot more 
Um, but but I, I thought that was I thought that was good of him um, to come out and say that because he could have just buried it. He could have just said, oh, no, Jared and I are fine. Yeah, everything was fine. Yeah, no, it was everything like that. That would be a very easy thing for, for him to do. But um, but what do you think, Jordan? We still got a couple days uh, left here. As I said, we're recording on Wednesday morning. So is this uh, is this going to be a distraction? Is this going to be something that you know, the Rams are like hyper-focused on because it's Jared Goff, or is this going to be just another game? Michael Brockers, too, I should say, by the way. Michael Brockers and yeah. Aubrey Pleasant. Yeah, that'll Aubrey be cool. Um, and Brad Holmes. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, you know, I just think it's just, I don't think it's escalated to the point of being a distraction, per se, somewhat incredibly dissimilar to like the Brady bonanza um, from a couple weeks ago. Like, it's just not that at all. Um, I think it's, I think he's going to have a moment and then kind of like how he does, he's just going to compartmentalize it, lies it and keep it pushing. Like that's kind of what, that's just kind of what Jared has always done. Right. And so I think that this is a really hard week for him in other ways. Um, you know, Dan Campbell publicly addressing the fact that he needs to step up for his teammates, just like he also admits that there's not a great roster around him. I mean, that those are my words. He said it much more politely than that. Um, they're in a build and Chris got really, uh, was really good on talking about this here. And I'm excited for you guys to hear it in a couple minutes, but, um, they, they entered this knowing what they were getting. Like Brad Holmes entered this knowing what they were getting. And probably the hope was, can you hold on for two years and do enough for two years so that it's just not catastrophically bad. Right. Right now it's pretty bad, but they've lost some close ones. Right. It's not like they've just been blown out every week. And I think that part of that. That must be, I think about that. I actually spent a lot of this morning really just thinking about that and what that must feel like to know, to know that you're a temporary solution to a long-term problem for a team rebuilding, to know that, and then also understand that there's really no way for you to really truly win that situation because you just aren't the guy who can somehow make magical things. I mean, it's very few people with with that kind of a roster around him. It's very few people who would right. be able to make make hay out of that, right? If right. anybody. Right. And so I think that I think that that must be really really difficult. And uh knowing Jared just a little bit, he's probably handling it really pretty dang good, honestly, because yeah. he is able to compartmentalize things and kind of just push through. And that's what he did in Los Angeles several times. Um I think I, I sometimes wonder what would have happened if Sean McVay was a little bit more publicly honest about Jared's play earlier. Yeah. Um, because it seems like Dan Campbell has figured out that if you call him out publicly, he's going to step up the next week. Right. So, right. Um, which we saw uh, last year. And so I think that there's, I just think there's, um, I have, I have empathy for the guy. I, I don't, I don't have sympathy necessarily. I don't, I don't tend to, um, think that he's got, you know, some sort of, you know, ha- really hard share of it, but he's, he's right. going through some adversity right now. And I think that there's obviously a lot of things that, that went into it and continue to still, um, reveal themselves, uh, to us. And clearly the Rams are very happy with their decision. Although the process of it is something that Sean McVay and, 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 and I'll say this too, in talking with people in that building and in talking with Sean, um, I believe him when he says that he regrets how he handled that. Yeah. I do believe him when he says that. And I really do believe that he really internalized and and got a look at himself sort of 
in the mirror as reflected by the public and by some of the things that um, were revealed about that time um, on either way, because I also don't think that that Jared didn't see something like this coming. I don't think that right. it was. it's possible for when I've talked about this before. It's not possible for a player to be totally blindsided. Um, by such a thing when it was escalating to that point and they were like legitimately taking calls on him that during that week, which I reported at the time. So, uh, you know, it's, there's, it's, there's no way you don't know something's coming in that regard. Right. Um, but the way that it, it was handled, and I think Sean McVay got a look at himself in the mirror as, ref- again, as reflected by the public and as reflected by people who are asking him, you know, on, you know, behind the scenes, some some hard questions of himself and how he handled that situation. And so I think that that was uh, that was an honest answer from him. I do think he regrets that. And I think it it changed him in some ways. But I also think he has zero. I mean, who would zero regrets about what caliber of a player they were able to get in Matthew. Right. Um, and I think, Rich, what I want to do is. And I I asked Chris this here um, earlier this morning as well, and you'll hear it too. But I want to know the main thing in your mind that sticks out to you about um, what we know now about this trade that we didn't know at the time. We knew a lot. (laughs) We knew a lot at the time. Right. Uh, I was reading my column from that night earlier, and I was like, holy cow, what a night that was. Um, but <laughs> what do we know now after nine months right. that we didn't know before? And I, I want to hear your thoughts on that. Well, yeah. It, and I'm going to apologize here because this might actually have been something that you wrote. Uh, I can't, I, as I, as I sit here, I can't remember whether you wrote it or whether it was a quote. So I, I apologize if I am stealing, um, one of your lines, if anything, it's a compliment. So, um, but to me it was, um, I, I knew that Matthew Stafford would fit better in this offense, and, and I knew he would fit better with Sean McVay. It was pretty clear by the end of last season that, that Jared and Sean just were not on the same page, and it really didn't have anything to do with football anymore. It was just kind of they just they weren't there anymore. And, and I, I, I figured that, that Sean and Matthew would have more of that connection. I figured that that would translate to the field in terms of how it would operate. But the one thing that I don't think I really fully anticipated was that the ability that when things aren't perfect, Matthew Stafford can still get it done. And and that's to me what what elevates kind of a good offense into a great offense or a good quarterback into a great quarterback. And to the extent I think Jared took a lot of unfair criticism at times. He took a lot of fair criticism. Um and and one of those fair criticisms was that when things started to go wrong, he kinda that was it. You know, if if things were set up nicely for him, if the play call was good, if the offensive line blocking was good, if everybody ran their routes the way that they were supposed to, Jared Goff could make any throw. He could he could complete any play. That was not a problem. Um, the problem was when things started to break down a little bit. And I did not anticipate really the level to which Matthew Stafford would be able to kind of diagnose in real time. I think you might have even used that exact phrase at one point. So I apologize if I'm cribbing from you. <laughs> um, but but to kind of diagnose that in, in real time as it's happening and and make plays and and moreover, not make bad plays. 
And and that was the one thing that, that Jared really started to fall into was when things started to go wrong. Not only was he making not only was he not making plays, but he was making negative plays. He was making bad decisions with the ball. And I think that started to snowball on Jared, quite frankly. I, I don't think that he started that way. I think that kind of the more the frustration built, the more the struggles built, I think it just kind of snowballed on him. And and Matthew has shown that ability to just, uh, you know, to, to really to be kind of an extension of Sean McVay on the field. And, and I know that helps the confidence both ways and it helps the confidence with everybody else too, to know that your, your play caller and your quarterback, your head coach and your quarterback are on the same page. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think everybody feels that all through, throughout the roster. And to me, I didn't anticipate that it would be quite that strong. Yeah. I think it, when you look at some historic sort of transactions here recently in terms of either a new coach comes in and builds a new offense in the case of Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. There's some drama there because there seems to just be a lot of drama over there. I don't know, man. Like it's, I think like small town, big drama. They keep denying that they called on Aaron. Uh, Sam Farmer uh, is a hell of a reporter and he doesn't Mm -hmm. report things that aren't true. So, uh, you know, it's, they keep denying it, but I am, I am certain that that call happened. And I wonder sometimes if they see some of the, how that summer unfolded and they were like, holy shit, we kind of lucked out here, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. My God. Um, but, uh, but probably not because it's still Aaron Rodgers, right? He's like one of the best players in the world. But um, right. not to take anything away from Matthew, who's been great. But anyway, my point, I swear I have a point to saying this, <laughs> what is, um, you know, you saw it, you saw there was bumps in the road and, and they weren't very good at times when they were establishing things and they were working through what the likes and the dislikes were. And it kind of was a process and it kind of was messy at times. And you just saw a lot of headlines and all that stuff. And then with Brady and Bruce Arians, um, it took them like eight games, 10 games to really figure out what they want or were and what they were going to do um, last year. And then they won the Super Bowl, right? So it's like, I, I think I'm surprised by – there are messy parts. I'm surprised by how clean the rest of it is, to be honest with you. Um, there are messy parts, of course, and there will still be messy parts. But in terms of the – you can't understate uh, the amount of work these guys have put in collectively, not just Matthew and Sean McVay, but Kevin O'Connell and, you know, uh, some of those uh, data guys and some of the uh, the the analysts and um, Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and the linemen and and you really can't can't say enough about the the amount of work that they put in and you really saw that um, you saw it at time you saw their bad days and their good days uh, and, and it was that's what I loved about being in camp this year was that like exactly what I said you saw them solve problem solving in real time and Matthew that's a uh, that 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 was a a fingerprint of Matthew himself, who's able to do that at a kind of a remarkable level. Right. And so I think, um, one of the things I asked Sean about this, when we sat down, uh, to do the Aaron Donald story, we actually talked for, you know, off the record for, um, a, a bit longer about just different things. And, um, one of the things that I told him that I was, I was, looking at and we were talking about philosophy and all that kind of stuff. And I, I said, you know, I'm interested in how you let go when things aren't going well. And I'm, I'm interested in how you reassign the things that you feel you need to do to be right 
I'm interested in how you let go and reassign them to the quarterback. And I was like, haven't seen a single live throw yet, so <laughs> can't really make a dis- discernment either way. But that's what I am most interested in. That's what I was most interested in when we, uh, you know, we first met Matthew and saw, you know, started digging into what he had done and accomplished. And you could really see that post-snap processing is just really outstanding. The arm angles and how it all matches together and the body control and everything is just really, really just elite level. And so um, that's what I was interested in because when things go wrong, Sean McVay had to, I, I think this is part of what compounded the issue. And I'm speaking, of course, just believing this as someone who studies people for a living. I just think this is part of what the issue was is it wasn't just the turnovers. It wasn't just the, um, the, the playbook that kept compounding and compounding into smaller and smaller space as a direct microcosm of what was happening on the field. The passing game was compounding into smaller and smaller and smaller spaces. There were less answers to problems and you had to force answers to fit problems that required a different solution. And that was part of the problem in my mind. And Sean McVay having to do that or feeling he had to do that, thinking, believing he had to do that, whether it was correct or not, believing that he had to find all of those answers by himself um, and then things still went wrong and still continued to de-escalate. And that, to me, is probably what p- in- insert a big catalyst into the, de- the professional, the deterioration of their professional re- relationship. And so to me, it's like, how do you unlearn all of that, first of all, as a person, when you've experienced that? Um, and you, this is this is your bubble that you're in. So it's your life. This you've experienced that on a on a real level. How do you unlearn all of that? And with Jared, and with Jared too, in terms of what he's going through right now, like how do you unlearn some of those things that you felt and had to go through because of the other person, essentially? And how do you, in, in specifically speaking of Sean McVay, how do you unlearn that enough to change your behavioral patterns and change your change it into something that's actually net positive for you? And I, I asked him that this week. I didn't ask him it that in that way. Of course, I didn't say, "Hey, man, how you know? How you feeling mentally? You know, have you right. unclenched yet?" Like I didn't, <laughs> you know, I didn't right, say that. Right. But I, I asked him. I said, "You know, how, how?" Basically, what what I asked him, you know, months, months, and months ago, and, and what I said is, like, "How do how do you let go when things go wrong? Um, and what's that process been like for you?" And and I thought his answer was so, so telling, Rich. It was the number one thing that I've learned in all of this. All of the little details about, you know, the moments and the angry pieces and the things behind the scenes and how it all de-escalated and how it happened and the other teams calling who wanted Stafford and Cabo and all this stuff. (laughs) This, to me, is the most important, what he said, most important and most interesting thing is he said, it's easy to let go because when I am wrong, he can still make me right. Yeah, that was the quote I was, I was, that, that's the quote I saw that, that either triggered uh, what you had said earlier or, or made me uh, think of it or remember it on my own. And, and that's, I, I don't, th- that's just something you can't teach, right? I mean, I don't care how long you work with somebody. Uh, I think some quarterbacks either have that and some don't. I mean, maybe you improve on it the more experience you get, the more games you get out there. But I don't think you can teach that. I don't think you can make somebody who doesn't have that instinct uh, learn it. And and it's pretty clear that Matthew Stafford has that that instinct. So you you explained it 
much better than I did, Jordan. Um, you did a great job, Rich. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I am very excited to hear uh, from Chris Burke to hear the Detroit side of things. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine covering the Detroit Lions? I mean, like. I asked him how it was going. I can't wait for you to hear this, Rich, because I asked him how things are going, and he just kind of sighed. Like (laughs) (laughs) He just was like, he's the best. You guys are really going to love this. I want to make sure we direct you guys to the appropriate places here right before we get him on, um, because he will end our show for us. But before we go, I did want to also make sure that you guys are following along over at theathletic.com. You can follow Rich Hammond on Twitter, Rich underscore Hammond, myself as well. Um, and appreciate you guys. I mean, I got so many tweets this week and I am so thrilled. Like you guys are awesome. You really are awesome. It makes me feel very warm and fuzzy inside. Um, Rich ran into multiple podcast listeners in New York City. Wow. I think we've opened a gate here because once I mentioned that I sat on the plane next to a podcast listener, people now have become emboldened, I think, more in a good way to admit that they've listened to the podcast. I, I ran into a podcast listener post game. That's uh, awesome. I ran, you know, in the sort of in the bowels of the stadium, uh, I ran into a podcast listener on the street in Brooklyn. Wow. So, that is so random. It was, uh, it was extremely cool. Um, That's so great. I just, yeah. So I just wanted to say you guys are the freaking best. Um, and, uh, I, I might, I might be starting to love you guys, um, maybe even more than my favorite thing in the world, Rich, which is, uh, which a is great discount. a great discount. <laughs> yes, you guys, my favorite thing in the world, my favorite thing in the world. Although you guys are getting up there pretty close, uh, wow. into that rare, rare air as they so, say. So it's a great discount. Your dog Tucker and, and the listeners of 11 personnel are starting to approach even, a tier close to them. Is that is that pretty much what we could say? Yeah, the dots are moving. Yeah, the dots wow. are moving. Okay. Yeah. All right. Very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. And when you go to the Eleven Personnel Podcast uh, and subscribe to the Athletic through that page where you find our lovely, lovely podcast, you can always get my favorite thing in the world, which is a great discount and very closely behind sit Tucker, my dog, and <laughs> And you guys, uh, without further ado, uh, we're going to welcome Chris Burke into the show. I think you guys are really going to love this. Um, and make sure you guys are following him and Nick Baumgartner over at the Athletic Detroit as well. Um, everybody's in town this weekend, and I'm really looking forward to, to this game. It'll be an exciting one. And as always, we thank you guys for listening. Joining me this morning, I'm so excited to have him, Chris Burke. He covers the Detroit Lions, covers them well, despite some pretty adverse circumstances at times. Um, Chris is joining me this morning on his way into another Dan Campbell press conference. I know you guys all saw what happened earlier in the week, Dan Campbell, with the long pause. Chris, uh, good morning, first of all. <laughs> good morning. And second yeah. of all, how are you? How's it going over there, man? <laughs> uh, you know, I you kind of become numb a little bit to covering this team because I mean, this is my first year covering them was Jim Caldwell's last year and they were nine and seven. They were in the playoff chase till like Christmas Eve that year. And so they played some pretty exciting games. And so they hired Matt Patricia and you're kind of thinking that they're going to be in it for a while. And now this is the fourth year of just like, it's not even Halloween yet. Then they're clearly out of the playoff race this year. Uh, so I don't know. It's um not going great. I mean, we knew it wasn't going to go great this year, but it's sort of 
I don't know. Like last week felt worse. The Cincinnati game, just because of how it went, felt really bad. The first five weeks, they were competitive. Should have won a couple of those. You know, Justin Tucker hit the 66 yarder the one week. Like, what are you going to do? But this past week felt bad. So I'm kind of curious to see how they respond and play in Los Angeles this week. Yeah, I feel like so. First of all, over on over on our side of things here, um, and, and certainly on the Eleven Personnel podcast, so we are big Brad Holmes fans over here, <laughs> um, and you know he has got his work cut out for him in terms of this rebuild, and we also have talked a lot about you know Jared Goff and and you know where things kind of go wrong with him. Sometimes he seems like the type of guy who, despite maybe his best efforts. Uh, when one thing goes wrong, many, many things go wrong. And uh, so I, I think, first of all, I, I, I want to get your thoughts on everybody. I, I watched the I watched the whole Dan Campbell presser earlier this week. So I first saw the the clip, right, where he's he's calling Jared out um, or seems to be. And, and that was sort of the clipped out piece. But my understanding is that it was a much longer press conference, obviously, but with several questions about, uh, you know, it, it, the receivers around him, C- Campbell at, at a certain point kind of just was like, all right, all right, all right. Like, <laughs> yes, he needs to play better. Um, so what was your takeaway from that? And and do you think that Jared is at, at all? I mean, I, I see the headlines, obviously. Do you think he's at all in danger of, of sitting at any point? I mean, not this week, of course. But, I mean, what, what, what did you make of all of that? It, I mean, it took Sean McVay four years to sort of publicly – say anything about Jared in that regard. Um, Dan Campbell, we know, is uh, extremely honest. Um, so I, I, I wondered what you might have, have taken away from that. I mean, I just think that their plan all along was to try to get through two years with him. And even if they drafted mm-hmm. a quarterback this next draft to bring in and compete or play behind him, they wanted to get through two years. The restructured contract they have with him is basically – you know, that's sort of the window, like that's kind of how they talked about building this thing was this two-year stretch. And now you're six games in and you're like, well, this isn't working. I don't know what to do here. So six um, games. I don't, I mean, I, I don't know that they would bench him unless it's just absolutely no way they can keep running him out there. And maybe they're getting closer to that. I mean, I think that the I don't know if this is working to his benefit or his detriment, but there are a lot of issues with this team. It's not as if this is a playoff team being held back by Jared Goff. So I think they still like his leadership and his presence and the fact that he goes out there, you know, he plays every week, even when he's hurt and all those things. So I think that they just like, that's why they traded for him, right? In the first place that they are one of the reasons that they knew that they were getting there. Brad Holmes knew him, you know, they figured they could throw him into this terrible situation and he'd be okay. And, um, so I think that that's the hope is that they can just kind of weather the storm here. But, um, I don't know. That's been one of the interesting things with Dan Campbell. One of the many is that he will sometimes use these press conferences to kind of, it almost sounds like he's trying to light a fire under guys, just subtly calling them out a little bit. He did it in August with DeAndre Swift and it worked and you kind of wait and see how guys are going to respond. Cause I don't know that everyone will respond favorably to it. Yeah, it, I thought that was interesting because we saw last year that at the point when Sean McVay finally, I mean, after three years, uh, four years, almost, you know, four, four seasons, called Jared Goff out for the turnovers um, after the, the Miami game where he, I think he turned it over four times. 
And Jared came out the, the week after and he played better, way better. Uh, he especially was better against the Blitz. And that was kind of what, what kept, you know, forcing those turnovers was, was any sort of pressure. And then after that, when Sean McFay sort of effectively benched him for backup quarterback John Walford, um, and Jared was injured as well, um, he came out and he played a really good game, a really tough game against Seattle in the wild card. So I, I feel like I, I almost wondered watching that. I was like, is he like pulling the the leaf out of that 2020 playbook where he, <laughs> he saw how, yeah. like, and, and credit to him, Jared Goff really responded well to it. And I think it's a it's a good week to respond to that type of thing, obviously with, with Jared returning to Los Angeles. Um, and, and we've, you know, talked so much about this right before you jumped on Chris, just about the reception he's going to get and, and what it means and all the implications and, um, how, you know, how we sort of expect him to play. But I want to take you back to that fateful day, (laughs) that Saturday night, it was something like 11 o'clock, 1130, your, your time. I just, I just remember your tweet from that time. Does Brad Holmes know he's not in Pacific time anymore? <laughs> well, I think the Brockers trade happened at like midnight yeah. Eastern time too. So yes, it was both yeah. of them. It's all, it was, it was late going for both of them. Yes. And um, it was an eventful time. And obviously it, it feels like another lifetime ago because Matthew Stafford has established himself really well in Los Angeles. That part of it is working. We know that. We kind of know what the results have been and what they will be of this trade. But I want to take you back because this was so much to unpack in the moment. And then it continued. I think we both continued to unpack it as time passed because we'd find these little details and we find these these different things that that occurred and that we learned that we didn't necessarily know at the time. We, you know, even despite reading all the cards that that we saw at, at that time of the trade and in the days leading up to it. So I'm curious, what are, what's, what's something that you know about this trade now that you didn't necessarily know when the Rams and the Lions made the trade? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, I, I think we know just from Detroit's side of it, I think we have a little more understanding of sort of what else was out there. And I think people mm-hmm. here have really gotten, especially as Jared Goff has struggled as much as he had, have really gotten hung up on the Carolina offer, which was yes. a first round pick. Let me make sure I get it right. It was a first round, their first round pick this year. And Teddy Bridgewater essentially was the deal. Um, and so if you were talking about bringing in a, you know, a bridge quarterback or whatever, uh, that, sort of canceled out the salaries and and you still got the first round pick you know that one uh you know that one made sense um and i think it uh now looking at it certainly like i said with jared goff playing the way he is and uh all that i think it's one that people have kind of gotten hung up on a little bit um at the time we knew you know had sources in the Detroit organization sort of telling us what was happening and it was that they had had seven, you know, seven or eight, nine teams calling and, and all of them had at some point offered a first round pick, but we didn't know, you know, is that the number 32 pick? Is that, you know, like, what are we talking about here? And now, so you're sort of piecing together the details after that. Um, that's really the big one for me. I mean, I think it's interesting you brought up though, McVeigh, you know, waiting for so long to kind of call out Jared Goff because we were yeah. just talking on our end about, you know, all these looking back at it, um, all these sort of markers along the way over at least the last like 
four or five years where you almost wished Matthew Stafford would have spoken up and been like, hey, come on, like, don't fire my quarterbacks coach. Like, why are we changing the offense? Uh, all these little things where I think the frustration for him was really bubbling under the surface and it got to a point where, you know, they went for the rebuild this year, they changed regimes and he said, I got to get out of here. But I think it was something that was sort of festering for a long time. And uh, I was talking with Nick Baumgartner, who covers the Lions here with me. And it's like, if if you put Aaron Rodgers in the types of situation Matthew Stafford was in, he would have, we would have had a story every <laughs> week of like Aaron Rodgers on Pat McAfee's podcast. Like, this is stupid. Like, I don't know why we're doing yeah. this. And, and Stafford <laughs> never really, that was probably the one biggest criticism of him was that he just wasn't that like, like alpha leader necessarily all the time you know he was a pretty quiet reserved guy as you've seen like he's not a yeah he doesn't want to be in front of the camera really that much so um that that's sort of interesting too now looking back on it and thinking well maybe that's where the ball started rolling on this or maybe that's the moment he's like i gotta i gotta go and i think you kind of connect the dots on all these things that lead up to that saturday too yeah, I wonder if he because these guys, as much as they say they don't see things and they don't pay attention to external media or whatever, they they see everything and they read everything. Like just gotta be straightforward. Like they see everything and they do, you know, they read all of the things that that we write and sometimes they use it as motivation and sometimes they just sort of, you know, toss it in the in their brain trash can, right? But like you don't miss that. That was a huge moment. For the Rams franchise, the, the things with Jared, as we know, um, had been bubbling for a long time, really since 2019. And really since that Super Bowl, you know, when they had that really tough wake up call about sort of what the limitations were going to be um, with a player who perhaps couldn't become uh, flexible or evolve in, in sort of that flexible way especially post-snap that Sean McVay wanted and wake up call for Sean McVay as well, you know, realizing, you know, I, I can't, I, when I'm wrong, I have to have a, a player in this building who can make me right when I'm wrong, you know, and I think kind of a, an ego wake up call for him as well in that he couldn't, he, he wasn't always going to have the right answer, despite so many people, again, internally and externally telling him, you know, he's the next, you know, there's a wonderkind and like, you know, <laughs> stuff right. that yeah. we remember from that time and i think that's that's one of the the biggest you talk about personalities i think that's been one of the best things for Sean McVay is having a personality like Matthew Stafford's around because he kind of has this way of telling you you're wrong very nicely <laughs> and i <laughs> yeah. wonder if at times that was like part of the issue in Detroit right because he he has this way of of telling you and, and he'll he'll flat out straight up tell you you're wrong, but he's going to do it in a way where you don't feel, you know, uh, like someone has insulted you or, or sort of that you've been confronted. Right. And that's how they've built and troubleshot this offense that they're running right now. And so I think that was really good for Sean McVay to have a collaborator in that regard. But I also wonder at that time, back to your point, if Matthew saw that and thought this could be a possible out for me. If he saw the press conference where Sean, who never, you know, pinpoints a player in terms of of calling them out specifically, may now do so actually more because he found that uh, he sort of it worked for him, right? And um, I I wonder if he saw it, if Matthew saw it and thought, you know, this this might be a a potential 
out for me. This might be my way, my way out of, of here. And I, and I think too, um, I wonder how things would have been different if, first of all, a new regime hadn't have just taken over. But then also, Chris, like from, I read from, from your work and uh, just a lot of things that you see is they were also dealing with this sort of PR image of the Lions don't treat their players right. Uh, and, and I'm not saying that as as me thinking it, but they were sort of dealing with that perception because of the Calvin Johnson stuff, and he was he was out in the news at that point as well. So I wondered too if the it, it's kind of like which do you pick, right? If you're Brad Holmes, you you make the player happy with where he wants to go. It was pretty clear, and, and we know this now that Matthew Stafford was like, no, I do not want to go to Carolina, right? And and we know now that that was the deal that was very close to happening. And it was a very, very good, you know, good looking deal in terms of what the Lions were going to receive. And it certainly would have been a good deal for, for Carolina as well. Um, but we know now that, 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 you know, it's been reported widely that Matthew stepped in and was like, no, I want to go to Los Angeles. And then, you know, he's in Cabo with McVeigh and the rest is history. So I wonder how that is grappled with in terms of, we did right by the player. We did what he wanted to do, but we also are kind of now in, in a bit of a, a messy situation where the guy we needed to be at least okay for two years, at least stabilize things. Um, you know, perhaps that's not working out exactly the way that we planned. Yeah. It's um, I think that's one of the things that maybe we don't know on this end is there's the, you know, Brad Holmes, I think has, obviously a ton of control over the roster, but there's also this weird sort of dynamic with uh, Sheila Fort Hamp, the owner, and then they have a cap guy and Mike Disner and a team president, um, Rod Wood. And and they're all kind of, the Lions keep pitching as this collaborative. That's their big word. Everyone's collaborative. You know, we're all working together. But with the Stafford thing in particular, it's interesting you bring that Calvin Johnson and Barry Sanders up because there is sort of this sense that maybe someone other than Brad Holmes said we need to do right by him he's been our guy for 11 12 years we've never helped him out enough we've got to get him like if he wants to go to LA let's make it work to get him to LA and so then you kind of go from there and figure out well what makes sense for the Lions and well well, they need a quarterback back so uh let's see if golf can be part of that equation and that makes the salaries work and so it, it it does like I said, that's one of the mysteries here. I don't know if anyone outside that building at the moment knows for sure who made the final call on that. But I do think that there is some that certainly was part of it. I think that they wanted Matthew didn't want to go to Carolina. So that was off the table. And maybe he didn't want to go to, you know, wherever else was whatever, whatever the other teams were that were calling um, didn't want to go to a couple of them. And so they they really focused in on that Rams deal and and tried to pull the trigger um i guess i will flip a question back to you am i are guests mm-hmm. allowed to do that on this podcast Can oh I absolutely this is a colla- this is collaborative, <laughs> collaborative here Chris. Too? okay we're collaborative well so yeah. the one thing that uh is sort of interesting now is like does brad holmes need to distance himself from jared goff <laughs> you know because he was there's obviously he <laughs> Like there's the story about how he kind of banged the table at the draft for him. And now he comes here and he gets Jared Goff because they think he can help them sort of stabilize things. So um, I guess, do you have any sense of like what that relationship is? Like how much Brad Holmes actually likes Jared Goff as a player at this point? Or did front (laughs) office sort of feel the same way Sean McVay did at the end? 
Yeah, it, it was such a interesting situation. I, I can just give you sort of my sense of things and sort of piecing together different different parts of it. Um, and it was interesting, Chris, because I went back and I read. I remember you and I worked uh, closely that entire week. It was just madness, yeah, right? right? And yeah. we just were like on Slack with each other constantly. And I went back and I read a sentence. So on the Friday night when they were taking – when the Rams were taking calls about Jared, um, I had a piece out about that essentially. But I still was like, this, there's no way this happens, Right. And, and I had a line in my piece, and it was like, it's really not clear why the Detroit Lions would take on this contract um, because that he that, that was one of the potential suitors and at the time and clearly a lot more po- than p- just potential there. But at the time, I, I wrote, like, it's really not clear why Detroit would take on this salary. And, and I also said straight up, you know, it, it's bad business to do favors for people um, when you're – a GM or when you're running a team where you're making decisions as it pertains to quarterback, like save it for, you know, a couple practice squad guys or, you know, lower roster guys or, or whatever. But that was my sense at the time was, Hey, it, it is bad business to, um, do, do these type, you know, potentially do these types of favors for people when you're trying to, to rebuild a team. And, when I say favor, I don't necessarily mean like, oh, yeah, that's how this happened was, you know, the familiarity and all this stuff. That's not what I mean at all. But but it, I mean in a, a larger sense of you you did the player a favor, which I think as a human being is the right thing to do um, in terms of your team build, uh, perhaps not the path that maybe you ultimately should have gone down. But for the player as a human on a human level, really admirable thing to do and respectable thing to do. Also, um, the Rams edging their way in at the 11th hour and, you know, that that deal. I mean, it, it's still, even with the picks and everything, I mean, Matthew Stafford is playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the league right now. And he's recording his, his best EPA, his most efficient um, game production. You know, it, it took him four tries to have his third highest game production in his entire career, right, in terms of EPA and efficiency. And so I think, I think like, you know th- – it's it was it's pretty clear that it's a bit one-sided in that regard but then you also get into conversations about builds and and where the lions were were realistically at in their build versus the rams and and, and all of that but i think with brad you know i think that this front office are they are realists collectively and i think that it's exactly what you said at the beginning like he knew what he was getting and that was a less of a risk, quote unquote, than dealing with a total unknown at the position. Um, it, when you knew, when you knew you weren't going to trade for, for example, Teddy Bridgewater, right? When you already knew that, so you introduced that variable into the into the decision making equation, right? So you know that's not going to happen. So acquiring Jared becomes less of a risk in that regard because you know every facet of what is what the ceiling is and what the floor is. Yeah. And so I think that's that's how the Rams make decisions collectively. I think that's how Brad Holmes is trying to make decisions um now in the in this new role in Detroit where you eliminate sorry, where you eliminate um those type of unknowns and you eliminate those variables that you can't control. And I think they probably entered this with 
the extreme reality and, and understanding that Jared Goff was not going to be, you know, 2018 Jared Goff, Super Bowl, you know, Jared Goff was not going to be that guy and probably would never be that guy again, barring, you know, some sort of really cool on a personal level, because Jared's a great dude, like really cool resurgence or comeback or, or whatever. And I think that's, that's what it was. I think it was entering that decision that became worth it to not have an unknown at the most important position on their roster because they had so many other things to attend to and build around. And so it's almost like, a, like you said, it's a, it's a, becoming a placeholder. And my understanding was at the end of the year, the entire football staff, all the decision makers, all the personnel people, all the football guys, all the scout, everyone um, sort of collectively came to the decision that Jared Goff was not going to be the guy for them. And I am certain that those meetings had some people arguing, some people agreeing before they came to a collective understanding. And then Sean McVay, of course, being the leader of we need to get, you know, we need to trade this guy. I need a new quarterback. Um, obviously was, was commanding that room, but that was a collective, that was a group decision that was, they, they, they went through and, and evaluated and, and made that decision as one does when you are making a decision at the most important position on the roster. And my sense would be that Brad Holmes would be not, not only aware of those decisions, but also of course, um, included in the conversation. So I don't think, I, I just think that he approached it at a level of, eliminating unknowns as many unknowns as possible entering this job and entering a rebuild. And I think that's a, honestly, I think that's a really smart approach because if you are entering a rebuild period, doing that um, sort of increases the efficiency of, of what your decision-making can be in that regard, if you eliminate those unknowns. So that, that's just kind of my, my sense of that situation. Yeah. I think that makes total sense. Um, And I think that's why, you know, Lions fans want cough benched already for, david blau or tim boyle when he gets off ir but i think it's just as i was gonna likely. ask I, I was like i don't even know <laughs> yeah well <laughs> there, there's know. your options uh <laughs> yeah all right there you uh, go i think it's just as likely that jared goff is still the starter here in week one next year for all the reasons you kind of laid out because like i said i think this was they made this trade thinking all right this isn't going to be we're not going to be a contender this year we're probably going to still be trying to f- come out of this these contracts and all these salary cap issues mm-hmm. next year and so nothing against Teddy Bridgewater. Certainly he's a highly respected player. He's played well when he's been healthy. Like he's a guy you could have plugged in there and 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 probably been fine with. But like you said, I think they knew, Brad Holmes especially, knew everything that they were going to get with Jared Goff on and off the field. Mm-hmm. And so there was that comfort level there with him. And it still is there, I, I think, to some extent. And I think that I said on our Lions podcast, I think the thing for Holmes, if there's one sort of emotion you would pick out at this moment, it's got probably disappointment because I think that they were hoping that if they gave him, you know, that they had this vision of an offensive line that hasn't come together because Taylor Decker was on IR. Now they lost Frank Ragnall. Those are your two best players. Mm -hmm. But they had this vision of an offensive line and a run game and then TJ Hawkinson. And they brought in a couple veteran receivers who also have not played this year, (laughs) but they had this vision where, well, if we give him some pieces, maybe Jared Goff finds it again. Maybe he, maybe it was just McVay ruined him last year. And he's actually that guy from 2018. And we can find that again. And I think we're seeing 
that he's not that guy. So now what yeah, do you do? And, um, and I think too, Brad probably knew how stressful that space sure. became and wondered, well, what what happens when we remove that stress from from Jared or that pressure to be perfect, essentially, uh, which is very real <laughs> and, and exists in that building. Uh, and, I, and I think that's such a good point, Chris, because I think the plan, you could see the plan, right, is, is kind of what you're getting. You, you could see the intention of the plan, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, right, like I said, I think that they brought him in thinking, let's, he's going to help us here. He can be... I mean, his personality, if mm-hmm. you look at him, sort of the way he presents himself is not that different from Matthew Stafford. And, right. and you know, he's not an in-your-face guy. He's not yelling and screaming on the sidelines. Um, I mean, it's just a very sort of calm, cerebral type of player. And I think that they absolutely needed that this year. I also think, you know, as you go back to the deals, like, I, there were some favors done here, I'm sure, to get Matthew Stafford to L.A., to maybe help the Rams out even. But I think some part of this, too, was that I don't know that the Lions, as Brad Holmes took this over, felt all that great about how quickly they'd be able to pull together their draft situation. You know, Mm -hmm. adding an extra first round pick this year when you're scrambling to, you know, overhaul the front office and get your system in place. Holmes has talked about how much he had to change even just in like the technology in the building <laughs> in Allen Park here. Um, so they had a lot of stuff to do. And it was a year where you had a, p- a lot of players opt out. You still didn't have people really on the road. It was a tough year to scout. And so I think that they were thinking if we can get more 2022, 2023, that makes sense for us too. And the Rams obviously mm-hmm. gave them that. So I think, you know, the the holdup on golf really at this point is – other than his play is just that the contract is such a, a weight around yeah. everything for the next two years. But in terms of just like the vision, like we're talking about, you, you, you can f- sort of get to the finish line of how Holmes was okay with it because mm-hmm. there's ways that it makes sense for this team where they're at. And, you know, unfortunately for them, it's <laughs> you're sort of at the worst case scenario right now. Yeah, it's always yucky kind of wading through the mud pit to get to the shore on the other side, right? Like, it just feels like you're like, oh, my God, it's all around me. It's in my shoes. This is horrible. Um, Chris, before I let you go, I just want to ask one more thing because I think we'd be remiss to not talk about. But, like, how's how's Jared handling all of this? And what do you think it must be like sort of having that understanding? And and Jared is not, you know, for all the stuff that came out, about, you know, him being blindsided by this and all of that. Like, he's not a naive guy. I'll, I'll say that uh, without getting into too much detail. Like, he is not naive to what's happening around him. So how do you think um, it is for him dealing with this right now? How has he handled it? And then also, um, what do you what do you think it would feel like? You're you're there every I mean you're there every day. You're in the building. You're in the situation. You're in the mud pit, so to speak, right now. And it, how would that feel to know that you are sort of a, a a placeholder that's keeping things from being you know maybe more catastrophic, right? Uh, but but you're not the future. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I mean, it is a tough situation for him for sure. I mean, I think he's handled yeah. it well. I think that they you know throughout the off season they. Everyone in that building talked about just how 
well he'd settled in and how he was you know leading the offense and all these things so I think he's doing for the most part a lot of what they were hoping he would do but at the same to your point that you made earlier I don't know that these guys are necessarily sitting there like searching their names on Google but stuff gets back to them and someone asked (laughs) Michael Brockers on Monday, you know, you know, you've known Jared for a while. Does he pay attention to this? Is like sports talk radio here is just destroying him. And everyone had to write on Sunday about how Campbell <laughs> didn't yeah. sound like he wanted him to be his quarterback anymore. And um, <laughs> like, does this get back to Jared? And Brocker's response was something like, um, you know, what if someone wrote that you were a terrible journalist? I mean, that would bother you a little bit, right? <laughs> you work hard at being a journalist. And so I think it does. That's a good response. I think, God bless Michael Brockers. That's a really like, good response. I think response. you're right. Like, I think that they, even if he's not reading every single thing, like he's aware. He heard people booing as he, like, was bouncing passes into guys on Sunday and taking sacks. Like, he heard the crowd booing. He knows the frustration. I don't think... Uh, like, I don't know who you would have put in here. And I think this is part of why they wanted Goff and didn't want to go draft a rookie this year, because this is what it was going to be, by and large. And this situation is impossible for the quarterback. The team is bad. You're replacing the best quarterback in franchise history, who now is reminding everyone what everyone here already knew, which is that he could play at an MVP level if you put some talent around him. And so... He was always going to be like the guy that the Rams didn't want and the guy that the Lions didn't really want, but had to figure out the situation. So I think all things considered, he's handled it well, but it is getting increasingly difficult for everyone because I think I don't think that the players are necessarily bailing on him or anything. Everyone here has struggled, but I do think there's as we heard from Campbell, there's some growing frustration in that coaching staff and probably honestly on the defensive side especially because i think there's some sense at this point of well what can we do to get through these next 11 games so we're not getting embarrassed and we're not going 0 17 like there has to be something jared goff does well that we can lean on for the next two and a half months and i don't know that they've necessarily found that yet so you're sort of at this moment like i said i'm really interested to see how goff responds how the team responds because they're, they're at this crossroads here where either this is going to be a horrendous, horrendous 0-17 season, or you're going to see some of the Dan Campbell stuff start coming through where they scratch and claw their way to a few wins. They hang in there against the Rams even. And you see Goff play like a guy who can at least be here and play and start and not <laughs> be getting booed off the field every single week. Yeah, you know, Chris, I think this game is sort of setting up for, and I think Dan Campbell knew that when he called, like made those comments, because I, I really do. I, it's just, you know, sometimes the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you just know. Kind of like how Sean McVay, after a 38-11 win <laughs> against <laughs> right, New York, yeah. was like, I'm I'm mad. Like in his press conference, <laughs> he was like, we're not, we're not playing well. And I was like, okay. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so, um, um, you, you kind of, you just get that sense that they're those, some, when some of those things are, are also meant as maybe a little, a little motivation, a little, you know, fire under somebody. And I, I definitely got the sense on that from, from Dan Campbell, who I think is probably very motivating. <laughs> um, and I, I would not be surprised, Chris, if, Jared Goff had a heck of a first half against the Rams, honestly. 
I would not be surprised by that. I wouldn't be surprised if he played tough. I wouldn't be surprised if he got hit a bunch, but continued to kind of persevere and and uh, try to get the ball, you know, downfield, even in, as we know, short yardage ways at this point. Um, and and I wouldn't be surprised if he, um, you know, put up a fu- put up a really respectable fight at least, because that's what that's what we've seen him to do. Um, but uh, you know, this is this is obviously a game the Rams should win and and likely will. But I think that it's exactly what you said. It's such a kind of my, it will be a, a milestone game for Jared professionally. Sure. Because the context, but personally, I think will be a milestone game for him because despite what happened last year, he has not gone through this type of adversity before. Um, he was on winning other than, you know, the seven to nine Fisher year in his rookie season. Like he, he was on winning teams, right? So this, this is going to be a, a test of, of, his own sort of perseverance in the way that he handles adversity in this regard. So um, we'll see how it goes. But Chris, uh, I really appreciate you jumping on. I know you got a press conference to get to. My understanding for those listening is that Chris still does have both of his kneecaps. Um, so nobody panic. I know that was a big, a big worry. Um, you can follow Chris at Chris Burke. That's B-U-R-K-E NFL on Twitter. They've got some really cool stuff coming out this week as they do every week. Chris and Nick do a great job covering the Detroit Lions for us over at The Athletic. Um, Chris, is there anything uh, you want to plug? Any stories you think that people uh, w- would like to uh, catch up on and maybe have some <laughs> schadenfreude yeah, before right. they... Before they enter this game. Oh, and Chris is coming to SoFi for the first um, yeah. for the first time. So I'm excited to see you, Chris. Yeah, I had to get my instructions on how to actually get to the stadium without getting stuck in the parking lot. So I'm going to get here. Yes, your- I told Chris, everybody, I told Chris that he will see me in the in the traffic line. Try as you guys walk. know. I, yeah. Yeah, he's going to, I sent him, I sent him the, the cheat code, which we'll keep secret for now. I'll send him the cheat, I sent him the cheat code and how to actually get there in a, in a reasonable time. I'll be sitting in the, in the car line, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for you to see it for the first time. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Um, Yeah. I mean, I, I would say like, we obviously covered the Stafford and golf stuff a lot. I don't know if people have made how far back into the archives people have made it, but I did write uh, a couple years ago, just about the Stafford, um, draft his how the lions decided he was the guy for them at number one sort of his background and the the scouting process there how it happened and how impressive he was as a as a prospect and all that so um it's uh now i'm forgetting the title but it's (laughs) it's like the day the day detroit uh decided on matthew stafford or something like that but it's uh that's probably my favorite story i got to sit down with matthew for a, a long time and that was one of those like he's one of those guys where you can ask him like a specific play he ran 14 years ago and he can tell you where every single guy on the field was supposed to be. And that was, so it was cool to do that. You know, like, well, where'd they take you out to dinner when they came to visit? He's like, well, I was going to take him to my favorite place, but it was closed that week because they were renovating or, you know, like all these little things that all these details. Like, what is, how does your brain work like that? Uh, <laughs> so it's a, it's kind of, that was a fun one to do. And it's kind of a cool insight into just, you know, his mind a little bit, but also just how he's been this good for this long and, and was such a freak of nature as a talent. So um, if Rams fans are looking for a little more on Matthew Stafford, that would probably be the one I'd point to, but otherwise, uh, We've got plenty of Jared Goff criticism for you if you need any of that. Yeah. 
I shared out your column earlier this week. It was a really well well written column, um, of, and I think fair uh, of the situation as well, which is important during times like these. I think and. Um, Chris, people cannot get enough Matthew Stafford content out in LA. I don't want to put salt in, in any Detroit listeners' um, wounds. And, and I appreciate also, by the way, I want to say I, I really appreciate it. There are some very, very nice Detroit Lions fans who are consistently in my comment section <laughs> over at, at the Athletic Los yeah. Angeles. And they're so nice. I, oh my I God. Think they're so be, nice. That's one of the things I'm curious to see going out there because I think. When Detroit teams in general, any sport, go out to the West Coast, they usually draw a pretty good crowd. And I think there are going to be like thousands of Lions fans there this weekend in Stafford jerseys. And I'm curious to see even who they're cheering for at this game on Sunday. Uh, Because I do think that they there's some envy for sure, but they legitimately want Matthew Stafford to do well because he represented this city so well for so long. So uh, it's that part of it will be will be cool to see well that's awesome to hear i'm, I'm excited to see that i'm expecting a, a bit of goosebumps because that's just i mean i even got a few just hearing that because i think that's just the cool thing about about sports and people you're watching people's life journeys kind of unfold right in front of you. you've watched matthew for, for a long time um okay guys make sure you're following chris and nick baumgartner over at the athletic detroit they do a phenomenal job there's so much reading to catch up on i'll be sure to go dig that that piece up from chris and, and share it out with this podcast as well chris thanks so much for your time today yeah thanks for having me looking forward to seeing you